Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. our very first episode of She Builds Podcast. We are so excited you are here. Before we start, we just wanted to let you know that there were some mic issues on this episode, but the content will still be really informative and interesting. Despite our tech hiccups, we promise that there are improvements after this inaugural episode. Okay, let's start. Cue music. Welcome to the very first episode of She Builds Podcast. Yeah, woo, yeah, yeah. Where we will share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Today, we're going to talk about Dr. Mika Bleznakov, the woman who began the International Archive of Women in Architecture, a big collection of works of women architects from all over the world. I'm Nergeri Rivas a Syracuse School of Architecture graduate from Puerto Rico, now sweating in Houston, Texas. With me are two more Syracuse architecture ladies, Jessica and Lizzie. Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers. I'm a Miami native now based out of Washington, D.C. Hey there, I'm Elizabeth Rahr, but everyone calls me Lizzie. I'm originally from West Michigan, and now I'm a licensed architect in San Francisco. Yay! Now that you know us, quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians nor experts on this subject. Yeah, we're just sharing stories on information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. You can reach out to us on our website, SheBuildsPodcast.com. Email us your thoughts at SheBuildsPodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at SheBuildsPodcast or on Twitter at she builds pod. All right, let's get started. It's really exciting to begin our podcast talking about Milka Bliznakov because she did a lot regarding the study of women architects. So it's really fitting to begin with her. Okay, let's start at the beginning. The place is Varna, Bulgaria. The year is 1927. She grew up during the interwar years 
which is the years between the First and Second World Wars, Bulgaria was on the losing side of World War I. Well, both wars, actually, but that comes later. <laughs> wow. Both wars? Bulgaria wasn't doing so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, when Milka was born, they had only lost one. And then three years after she was born, she had a little brother. And then she started going to school. And every time she would come home, she would teach her little brother everything that she had learned. Starting her teaching career young, I see. Exactly. Yeah. Just a little slice of what she would do for the rest of her life. One day, she decided she was pretty bored at school. And instead of wasting her time, she took an exam to skip a year in school. Wow, what an achiever. When I got bored at school, I didn't think about skipping the school year. I just made friends. (laughs) (laughs) I doodled, but not Milka. Mm -hmm. No. By the time that she had skipped school... Um, skipped a grade. Bulgaria had now. Oh yeah, she yeah. skipped a grade. No, she was. She wasn't like me. She, she was in school. She, she was. She was a good, good girl. True. Overachiever. Sorry, listeners. I misspoke. Okay, so she skips a grade. Mm-hmm. I almost said it again. <laughs> she skips a grade. By that time, Bulgaria had lost World War Two, and they were part of the Soviet bloc. So as we've mentioned several times, she skipped a grade (laughs) and she got into college one year early. But just as she did that, the communists took over the government in Bulgaria. The problem was that her father was part of the Bulgarian parliament and not of the communist party. So when the communists took over, he was arrested for being an enemy of the people also known as anyone who's not communist, and he was sent to a work camp. So naturally, the daughter of an enemy of the people can't be in college, and they kicked her out. But as you'll learn throughout this whole story, you cannot keep Milka down. She appealed her expulsion. She explained her parents had divorced when she was 10 years old. Her father remarried and then joined politics. Milka, after her parents divorced, lived with her mother, and barely ever saw her dad. So with those cold, hard facts, long story short, a year later, they let her back into college. And then at 24 years old, she graduated from the State Polytechnic University in Sofia with a master's in architecture in 1951. And a year later, she started practicing architecture. Now would be a good time to have a quick break where we would have a sponsor, but we don't have any sponsors yet. So, hey, sponsors, you can email us at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so we're back from our great break. (laughs) Sometime after she graduated and started working, her brother went to visit Germany and casually, as we all do, escaped to the United States. No big deal. (laughs) By this time, Milka had gotten married to Dr. Emil Bliznakov, who was a microbiologist and would later write the famous book, The Miracle Nutrient Coenzyme Q, for our scientist listeners. Ooh, ah. (laughs) So Milka was an architect, married, her little brother stirred up trouble, and she told her husband they had to go join him in the U.S., her husband was like, that sounds like a terrible idea because, you know, escaping the Soviet bloc was dangerous. Wait, did they have any kids? Mm, no, which I guess makes it easier to take that risk. Who knows? 
But Mika tells her husband that she knows someone that knows someone that for the low price of 10,000 US dollars, which is about 100,000 today, <laughs> they would help him escape. Emil was not about that. He was afraid of bribing a government official, getting caught, and then you know what happens? Prison work camp. That seems like a reasonable fear in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. But I think, you know, knowing what we know of Milka, she usually gets what she wants one way or another. Milka got the money. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So she gets the money and she smuggled into none less than a vacation cruise for high government officials going to the Mediterranean. She and Emil got fake names and the plan was to make it a one-way trip. So she escaped via vacation. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize the struggle and it was probably dangerous, but I still feel like that seems like an ideal escape scenario. (laughs) Actually, it was a party cruise. There was gambling and everything. Yeah, you see what I mean? (laughs) Well, there was a little drama. So... Emil uh, won some money when he was on the cruise gambling. And then people started asking to borrow money from him. But we know that they're not planning to come back to Bulgaria. So if they lend money, they're not getting it back. So, yeah, they can't be holding IOUs. <laughs> <laughs> so Milka, <laughs> on purpose, caused the scene. And then she was like, what? You can't let people take money from us. And then <laughs> exactly how it went down. I was there. I know that that's how it that's happened. It. So Emil, thanks to Milka, was able to say, hey, man, you know, I would loan you the money, but then my wife would get angry. And we, we know what happens when she gets angry. So sorry, not sorry. I'm not giving you money. Way to go, Milka. Yeah. Saving the day again. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. She gets them into the cruise. Then she saves them from that. She's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So Mika saved the day and they arrived to Marseille, France. They ditched the Bulgarian party people and head to Paris. From there, she began the process of immigration to the U.S., which was not easy or fast. She lived and worked as an architect in France for two years. Marjorie, you know about that immigration process, right? (sighs) Unfortunately. Well, yes. I'm married to a Costa Rican, so I can relate because right now we're going through that immigration process of him um, getting the papers to work here in the U.S. So I know that it took a long time to get him here to get us married. So um, I would like to say congrats to Milka on her bravery for leaving home and her patience to reach the United States. But I... I also think that we should take note that it's really cool that she found work as an architect in France. Yeah. yeah. They're lucky that she, they were able to work while they were waiting for that process to happen. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And like within their field too. Like, yeah, they weren't like waitressing or working retail, <laughs> which isn't bad. But if your degree isn't in that, then. Right. That's it's no nice fun. that they were able to do those things. Mm-hmm. Now it's 1961. Milka is 34 years old. She says, Au revoir, France. Hello, USA. She stays in New York, working on a PhD in architectural history from Columbia University. Milka really likes school. Yeah. This girl really likes school. She really does. Who who gets PhDs in architecture? Milka. (laughs) 
So she's not only getting her PhD, but she's also working at a few known architectural firms at the time, such as Harry M. Prince, Murphy and Maury, and one we know of today, Perkins and Will. Ooh, shout out to our friends that work at Perkins and Will. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) You know who you are. You know who you are because you get a paycheck from them. But you know who we are. So, hey, what's up? What's going on? (laughs) Thank you for listening to us. So, Nordry, what projects did Milka work on? Do you know? She worked on a lot of houses and urban design projects. Those are really different project types. (laughs) Yeah, they are. are. Well, you know, Mika was a lady of wide expertise. Clearly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Listeners, look at the show notes for links to drawings and documents of the projects that she worked on. Um, We'll put some there. So she received her PhD from Columbia in 1971 at 44 years old. Wow. Wow. So now that means that there's two Dr. Bliznikovs in the family or Bliznakovs. There's two doctors in the family. Yeah. There's two doctors. (laughs) You could just say doctor now. And it could be either or. That's true. So a year after she got her doctorates, she began teaching architecture at the University of Texas in Austin. Shout out to any UT friends and colleagues. Hook them horns. (laughs) I hope I said it right. So at UT Austin, she meets like-minded professors and they start putting together the Institute of Modern Russian Culture, which is a collection of books, documents, photographs, sound recordings about Russian art and architecture. They also organize conferences, lectures, performances, and exhibitions. That sounds a lot like what she's going to do later with the IAWA. You called it. Yes. Um, in 1974... Milka became a professor at the Virginia Tech's College of Architecture and Urban Planning, teaching in the urban design program. While there, students kept asking her why they weren't studying women architects. So in 1985, Bliznakov worked with Virginia Tech to open the International Archive of Women in Architecture. She thought studying women architects would make architecture gender neutral the problem wasn't that there weren't many women architects the problem was that they didn't know who they were where they practiced and what they had accomplished wow and to think that it's been 35 years and it's still a problem in our profession yeah and i'm wondering like why didn't we know about the existence of this archive when we were studying in school i hadn't heard about this until we started looking at milka Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we barely learned about the existence of famous, noteworthy women architects, period. I think I can count with one hand the women architects we studied in school. And they were always tied to a man. Like they never were subjects that like stood alone. Like I remember Mm -hmm. we learned about Denise Scott Brown, but like it was always when we talked about Robert Renturi or like um, Eileen Gray. She was always like tied to Le Corbusier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. all of these women architects and their work has enough merit on its own, but we never really discussed them. It's really bad. Yeah. yeah. And it's not a problem here. It's a problem everywhere. Like I've been talking to friends that I have in Costa Rica and in other parts of the world that studied architecture. And they they got really excited that we're doing this podcast because they have the same problem. They don't know about women architects either. Interesting. 
So that's why we're doing this to discuss these women yep. and move our profession towards gender neutrality. Yeah, yeah. go women. What, what? <laughs> go ladies. Yeah. So back to Milka and the International Archive of Women Architects. We don't have enough time to go into depth about the IAWA, but Jessica did a road trip to Virginia Tech to check it out. And that was a lot of fun, right, Jessica? Oh, yeah. It was a, what what can I call it? An archiventure? <laughs> an architecture adventure? Yeah, she was podcast archventures. <laughs> that could be an episode where we visit the work of the ladies we talk about. <laughs> she builds podcast pilgrimage. Yeah! <laughs> I like that. We don't have time to talk about the the archive itself, and we will do a future episode just of the archive itself. Yeah, but for a little sneak peek, the archives have a lot of drawings and photographs, letters, and personal information for many of the women architects, engineers, and the designers. Their goal is to make all that information available for scholars to further their study and research of women in the profession. Plus, when I went, they seemed very helpful and interested in helping those in with their research. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome. So stay tuned for that episode. More about Milka. Milka served as the chair of the IAWA Board of Advisors from 1985 to 1993. She retired at 71 and established the Milka Bliznakov Prize, awarded annually to people whose research furthers the knowledge of women's contribution to the architecture and design professions. That Milka don't quit. <laughs> she really doesn't. Still doing stuff even after she's retired. I know, like, I haven't done yeah. enough yet. Let me do some more. Yeah. Milka kept getting and donating works to the IAWA until her death on November 4th, 2010 at 83. But her legacy of the International Archive of Women Architects and the Milka Bliznakov Prize live on. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Woo <sighs> Wow, that was a lot. But um, there's more. Okay, real fast. Let's run down a few awards she won because Milka was a super boss. Okay. She was awarded the Parthena Medal for Excellence in Architecture from the Bulgarian government. She won two Fulbright Hayes Fellowships. And also received a National Endowment for the Arts Grant. She was also named a Wilson Center of the Smithsonian Institution Scholar. To name a few. <laughs> Mika was also published, and you can find information about that on our show notes. But before we leave okay. you, we have to give out our karyatid for this week's episode. What's a karyatid? So, some background. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman that was used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. So each episode, we're going to choose a karyatid, a woman who's working today, furthering the profession through her work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Without further ado, drumroll please, Jessica. Mm -hmm. Our first karyatid is Lori Brown. Yay! Clap, 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 clap. Yeah. In 2008, Jessica, Lizzie, and I were starting architecture school. Lori Brown received the Milka Bliznakov Prize Commendation for her work on the Feminist Practices Exhibition. The exhibition focused on architectural studies 
that used feminist methods of design, research, and practice by women in the field. At first, it was a traveling exhibition, and later it became a book. Today, mm -hmm, today Lori continues her message and investigations through Architects, a nonprofit organization that promotes gender equity. That's Architect replacing CT at the end of two X's, which is pretty clever. Yeah, I liked it. Super mm -hmm. fun fact. Lori is licensed in the state of New York, and she is a Syracuse architecture professor. Your Syracuse professor, Nergity. <sighs> yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. She was my professor, and that was one of my worst studios. <laughs> Which semester was it? It was second year, first semester. Oh, yeah, that oh. was bad for me, too. So I feel like second year was really hard, though. The, the idealism of first year has worn off, yeah. but it's still just as hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that my terrible studio is not a reflection of Lori as a professor at all, and more of me being a teenager that barely knew what architecture was. For sure. Yeah. But you know what? We learn most from our failures. So thank you very much, Professor Brown. I hope we meet again. Maybe through the podcast. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really, I really did like her. Well, it's here. The end of our episode. It's bittersweet. But, you know, it's mostly sweet and exciting. We did it. Yeah. yeah, we did it. We are here. Even though... Jessica says we don't have sponsors, but we kind of do, actually. Uh, we have, we want to thank CMYK for the music yes. that you listen to. They actually graduated architecture school with us. So check yeah. them out. CMYK. Yeah. On Spotify. Yeah. Their album is pretty good. Mm -hmm. It really is. We need to thank John W., our technical producer. Yes. Very much. <laughs> and most of all, we need to thank you, the listeners. Thank you so, so yeah. much for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Milka and Lori, along with our banter. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. So, again, thank you. So, please let us know what you thought of our episode. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about the women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then, bye! You know, I was thinking about this and I kept forgetting to ask you guys. Her name wasn't Milka Bliznakov when she was born. Does that matter? Right. Do you know her maiden name? I do, to Chernev. Mm. But all the information about her is as Mika Bleznakov. Yeah. yeah, no, I would just... Uh, it's yeah, okay. it's okay. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.